You're listening to Decoding Seafood, where we dive into the depths of one of the world's most beloved but misunderstood foods and the industry that drives its production, environmental impact, and cultural norms. Join us as we peel back the layers and speak to the players of the seafood industry, from chefs to scientists, influencers, and everyone in between. This is Decoding Seafood, brought to you by Moe. In the face of burgeoning global issues like climate change, poverty, war, and world hunger, it can be difficult to find hope, much less empowerment. We get to speak with the University of Miami aquaculture students Jasmine Evans, Charlie Walsh, and Slater Daniels as they decode how the world of academia is approaching some of the mega issues that the world is facing and how aquaculture is offering sustainable solutions to them. In our chat, we cover everything from how just one-tenth of the world's ocean has the potential to feed the world, to how aquaculture compares to farming on the land, and even why a career in aquaculture could be your own personal solution to finding work with deep meaning. Let's dive in. We're here today with three University of Miami aquaculture students. We have Jasmine, Slater, and Charlie. How are you doing, guys? Doing great. Really enjoying Boston Seafood Show. Yeah, thank you so much yeah. for having us. I can't believe the second largest seafood show is here in the U.S., so it's awesome. What's it been like? It's been incredible to get to talk to so many people that hold different roles in the industry. I've seen a lot of the science in the industry, but seeing producers and people that are buying products and people that are producing equipment and just getting to have meaningful conversations with all of them has been awesome. Yeah, I think the coolest thing, having come from an aquaculture mindset, is just to see how global aquaculture is. I think that's been discounted for so long in the U.S. And so to see, gosh, even before we walked up here to speak to you, we just spoke to a farm that's in Turkey. So didn't really have any exposure to that prior. Realized that there's a ton of production coming just from all over the world. So I think that was a really cool perspective shift for us. I am fascinated. The three of you from three different states within this beautiful country, representing three different kind of cultures and three different kinds of lifestyles that interact with aquaculture and seafood in different ways. Was there maybe a specific moment or memory or situation that really inspired you to get into aquaculture for schooling and really consider to study it? I've been working at the hatchery at the University of Miami for about two years now. And the way I like stumbled into that was kind of random. It was my junior year and I had some lab experience, but I started to be like, oh, I'm not sure what I want to do. I need more. So I sent out an email with my resume to a bunch of labs on campus and they answered me really quickly and got me into a volunteer position. And a lot of that was siphoning tanks and cutting bait and feeding fish, which of course are incredibly important. That's what makes aquaculture run. But I wouldn't say they're always thrilling things to do. But I remember a few months into that, looking at these fish that I had cared for almost every day for a few months and going, wow, they're they're a lot bigger. Like they're doing really well. This is important. And I think the experience of putting a little bit of work into something every day and then watching these fish grow and thrive really like sparked something in me where I was like, I love this. The farming aspect of it is so enjoyable to me. And then sort of zooming out, looking big picture and going, this is something really important that has to get done for people. And really with the way world population is going and food accessibility, it needs to happen. So I think enjoying that day to day and realizing like someone needs to do this and I would like it to be me. It's important work. I think there was a morning I was working on the oyster lease and I was probably waist deep in the water and the sun was coming up. And I just thought, man, this is so nice. 
it's a way to interact with marine life, learn about them, but it's also, there's private industry, there's business. I knew that I didn't really want to go into academia just because I do really like business. So I started to think, how can I be involved in this and still study marine life? And aquaculture was the best combination of marine life and business. So that's kind of how I got. It's a great visual. Boy, I would probably describe it more like a sunrise. I know that's kind of cliche maybe, but it was a collection of things. If I'm thinking back, one thing was the word aquaculture wasn't in my vernacular when I learned about it. But, you know, growing up in the Northwest, constantly hearing about the salmon runs and, man, are they going to make it up the river this year? Fishing for steelhead in Idaho. That's a long distance from the ocean. I think it was just a natural progression to be like, man, it would be nice to somehow have some confidence that that supply would be here yearly. And then it just led to more and more questions. And then I stumbled across, oh, aquaculture. And that makes total sense. It's basically growing aquatic animals and vegetables and what have you. So I think that was probably like a slow progression of things. Additionally, just having a business undergrad, I thought that this is a great way to provide a legacy, I think, to the next generation and look for ways that you can mix both the sustainable side, but also profitability and how can we do that? And then I'm thinking about my boys and just the dinner table, honestly, and feeding people and just the kind of camaraderie that brings. And I don't know, aquaculture, it really does seem like the best way to keep that going for these generations to come. This is very altruistic, guys. It can't be understated that your heart and your passion and how you see the world has really influenced what you're studying, and it's refreshing. I'd love to know how your studies have shifted your perspective of the world, specifically how do we feed a growing population and where do you guys think we're headed in the future? I think a lot of our classes start out with the fact that human population is growing very quickly and we need to start doing something differently because with the natural disasters we see and droughts and food deserts occurring in every country, I think that it really sort of opened my eyes to the heaviness of that, but also gave me a lot of hope because so much of our ocean has untapped potential for aquaculture and on land. So I think at first, it definitely, it was a very, very heavy realization to sort of actually start looking at the numbers of global population and how that's going to affect food security going forward. But I think immediately after that, sort of looking at the landscape of aquaculture and how it's growing and the enormous potential it has just sort of looked to me like this is a natural progression. And if we want to keep eating well and feeding more people, then aquaculture is the path we need to take forward. I think the biggest thing, honestly, was learning that if we used a tenth of a percent of the entire ocean, that would feed the global population. Talking just from a production standpoint, that's not that much of the ocean that we would need to use. I think that was eye-opening for me that the problem seems out of reach, but it really isn't. It just is going to take a lot more cooperation. I that's think. fascinating. Yeah. I think another one, too, again, <laughs> relating back to kind of the Angus farming, learning that as far as usage goes for inputs. So we call it FCR. That's the feed conversion rate. Cattle is probably the worst, followed by pork and chicken. And fish actually uses the least amount of protein consumption versus other protein sectors. I think one of the most eye-opening things for me that I guess I sort of knew but didn't realize is that as an industry as a whole in the U.S., aquaculture is still, I wouldn't say in its infancy, but it's not as developed as it is in a lot of other places in the world. And I think that's usually pretty rare for the United States, tend to be kind of at the top of the pack. So that was very interesting, which means there's a lot of opportunity here. But it looks like growth is probably going to be pretty slow unless some things happen in government that can kind of 
reorient how it's regulated and all of that. Also, public perception. I was born in 1995, but even I remember when I was young coming across some smear pieces on aquaculture, mostly on salmon farming and tilapia. I was young, so I just kind of accepted it or moved on and said, oh, that's an interesting documentary or what have you. And now going back and watching it, it's so very clearly biased or untrue, pseudoscience, things like that. So that's been very interesting to understand all the different players in the seafood game worldwide and you know how different people feel and how it's viewed by the general public. It's very interesting. Yeah, I love getting this insight because we can't underscore how important your insight is because you're a group of under 30 people who care deeply about what this planet's going to look like and are, are doing something about it. So really interesting thoughts. Has there been anything that stands out for the three of you, kind of watershed moments for you guys? Like, wow, that's a really cool breakthrough, a really cool discovery or learning that you've gathered at the, at the program? I think the science behind the fully integrated close cycle. What does that mean? So we talk about taking wild broodstock, which would be your parent fish, spawning them, raising those babies up through larvae, through fingerling, through the maturation tanks, all the way back till their parents, and now they're breeding and they have eggs. So the second generation are called the F1s. I think we call it a closed cycle, a closed loop if it gets to F2. So we're kind of biased with the marine school. But the amount of saltwater fish species that have been taken to closed loop cycles is massive. So we work daily with flounder as well as cobia. And to see all the work that's been done in that regard has been amazing. And then we even talk about research that's going on in other countries. And one of those is tuna is a big one. The Japanese have closed the, the loop on bluefin tuna. And so if you start having that proliferate throughout the world, I mean, that's, that's huge. That's huge science. But to see that it's working is huge. I think sort of similar to what Charlie was saying, another realization that gave me a lot of hope was just thinking about how in land animal farming, you don't have a huge variety of species. I'd say most of us eat what? Chicken, turkey, pork, beef. And there are others that are more niche, but the things you see every day on a menu or every day in the grocery store are so limited but there are thousands and thousands of species of fish and invertebrates from the ocean that we eat. And in terms of developing aquaculture from a biology perspective, that's such a variation in genetics that exists in the wild that might be compatible with a recirculating system or net pens, just all of these different forms of aquaculture we have. We have so many species that exist in the wild that we can say, okay, does flounder work well in a recirculating aquaculture system? Salmon obviously do well in net pens and they can be done in recirculating aquaculture. And I think the potential that the ocean has, I mean, it's most of our planet, a massive amount of our biodiversity. There's just the number of species we have to work with and the potential to develop them is incredible, like cannot be overstated. Yeah, for someone who gets sick of the same food, it opens up a whole variety when they realize how many different options you have if you can start to find seafood that you enjoy. And I think everyone can. It probably doesn't seem very special to us anymore, but I remember getting there and they've recently been doing a lot of work with the cobia. What is that kind of fish? Native to the East Coast. They're migratory. It looks almost shark-like. A giant remora-looking shark. 
Yeah, they're closely the, related to remoras, like shark suckers. But most others. people that come into the lab are like, are you raising sharks? What are those? And we're like, no, this is a cobia. They're a white meat fish. They have big, I mean, big, thick fillets. I've had a probably a two and a half, three inch thick cobia fillet before. It, that was cool to see that they had closed the loop on cobia because I grew up catching them in the Outer Banks and restaurants would very rarely get cobia because there's not a huge commercial fishing presence for cobia specifically, even though it is such a tasty fish. And so coming there and seeing that they were trying to move that sector of the industry along was really, really cool because I've always been a big fan of that species. So I think one of the coolest aspects of aquaculture that we have touched on, the three of us have kind of touched on, but there's different sectors of aquaculture. That was one thing that I wasn't aware of. So restorative aquaculture focuses on rebuilding reefs essentially out of oysters and other uh, shellfish and mollusks. But then additionally, there's a whole industry of seaweed and thousands of different species of seaweeds and sea vegetables that are starting to be adopted back into culinary. And I wasn't really aware of this. Shout out Bren Smith on his book, Eat Like a Fish. But there was a history of culinary expertise that just focused specifically on sea vegetables. So it's not all just fin fish. It's everything. It can be abalone or mollusks or fin fish. There's all different kinds. They all have their place. They all have specific contexts that can help particular environments. But all of these different areas really expand how even different cultures and people groups can relate to the oceans. That's encouraging. I want to kind of go down the row here for the three of you, and I'm a big picture guy. What do you hope to accomplish or change after you graduate? Personally, my career goals, I would split them into two categories. I want to produce fish, and as much as I love feeding fish and scrubbing tanks, which I do want to do, I want to be a part of a company or some sort of organization that is sort of on the forefront developing technology that lets us grow fish, spawn fish, raise them better and more efficiently specifically. And then on the other hand, I've recently become more interested in aquaculture-related communications, particularly social media appealing to a younger crowd. And I would really like some part of my career to be communicating that aquaculture is good. And this negative perception that we have a lot of the times comes from blanket statements made by people who have a financial interest in aquaculture not developing. So I also would like to be involved in production, hopefully on my own company. Haven't decided what species yet or where. I'd like to get more experience before I make that decision. I also would like to hopefully be some sort of ambassador for aquaculture, change the public perception a little bit. Most people I know either don't know what aquaculture is, or if they do, they generally don't have a particularly favorable view on it. So I'd really like to be an ambassador and change people's minds a little bit, just educate them. And I think they'll, they'll come around. I really want people to be able to have this conversation. And I think the podcast hopefully will allow people to have those own conversations over a dinner table and the bar and uh, wherever they're, they are at. So yeah, I, Charlie, I don't know if there's a specific goal you're setting out to accomplish or change. I think big picture, I'd love to see and be a part of the change of just aquaculture adoption in the U.S. We talk about Goldilocks countries as far as aquaculture production. We're one of the largest, if not the largest, seafood consumer markets in the world. It just makes no sense that most of that seafood comes via imports. So it makes sense that production can be increased here. 
I keep going back to my grandparents, but they were huge benefactors of government subsidies for Angus farming and things like that. I'd love to see our government help us get more self-sufficient from a seafood perspective. So I would love to get involved in production in some way. Kind of that was my hope and dream with getting my undergrad degrees in, in business and accounting and finance specifically is to be able to make those business decisions and how to run a business and things like that. And then just, I love fish. And I, I, I don't think it can be understated. I'm an avid fisherman and I love fishing and I just want to preserve that. And aquaculture makes the most sense. It's a lifestyle. It goes beyond, yes, it's, it's healthy for you. Yes. I mean, obviously this is a, a huge solution to a lot of the food and protein issues that we're going to be experiencing. Our generation, our, our kids' generation are going to be experiencing. But there's something really beautiful, and there's a human connection with with the waterways and that interaction with the fish and taking care of it. And I think there's something very human, deeply, intrinsically beautiful about connecting with those waterways that we've grown up with and we live around. So... A final thing, if our listeners only need to know one thing about our talk today, like you said, you're really excited about convincing this generation about why aquaculture matters and why you should care about seafood and, and the lifestyle that kind of surrounds it. What would you want to say to them? In my conversations with people since I've started this program, I think the perspective that has sort of opened most people up to the thought that aquaculture can be good is I would like to poise aquaculture as something we view more as a tool and less as this industry that it is the way it is. It's a tool. It's developing technology very much in development. It's occurring and it's successful in so many places. But I think because it is growing, especially in the U.S. and around the world, and will continue to as population grows. I think viewing aquaculture as a tool that can be used in good or bad is a perspective that I, I would like to see that be more common because I think that allows us people in the industry who are pro-aquaculture to acknowledge that there are bad players in the industry. And I do not support that. I think we should all be looking out for the environment and all of our futures. But it also allows people who are more skeptical to open their minds to the fact that this is a tool and it doesn't have to be something that harms the environment and it can be something that has a really strong net positive. I think a uh, big takeaway a message kind of stems from what Charlie said earlier. I think we import around 90% of our seafood here in the U.S. So that's kind of ridiculous. That kind of hits you in the face. You go, wow, that's 90%. That's a lot. And I think that the industry as a whole has so much room to grow in the U.S. Hopefully people can become more educated, understand more, because there's not just farming. There's a whole collection of jobs and special skills that go into running a farm. Also the financial side, the nutrition side, designing and operating all the equipment that goes into the farm. So there's a lot of jobs and in industry that support aquaculture and it's all kind of intertwined. And there's a right way to do something and there's a wrong way. And I think the industry has progressed a lot. So I think a lot more people are doing it the right way these days. If we can just kind of continue to develop that and open it up in the U.S., it would be a good thing for all of us. I think the takeaway message for me, if I could just put it concisely, is I want to be in the business of hospitality, I guess is the best way to put it. So Jasmine said it really, really well, but aquaculture is a tool that we can do that with. I think it's a way to get people to the dinner table. Despite what culture or background you come from, everybody eats. Food is a really uniting thing for all of us, and to do it in a way that can protect the environment that's transparent that is also really good for you. I, it just makes the most sense that fish would be that and then 
to combat a lot of the issues that we're seeing kind of globally with all these different environmental stakes, to do it in a way that's sustainable. I mean, fish farming just seems like the best option forward. And I don't want to gloss over the fact that there has been not the best history with aquaculture. I think what's interesting and awesome about our generations is we don't really have that history. To us, we're seeing there's issues and we need to fix them. And to me, at least, aquaculture just, it really does seem like the best way to create protein, to drive hospitality, to unite different cultures. And maybe that's pretty altruistic, but I'll stick by it. We need altruism. (laughs) In a world of doom and gloom and conflicting opinions, we need altruism. Yeah. Yeah, we need hope. Jasmine Slater, Charlie, thank you for your time. If people want to be able to follow you guys as thought leaders for New Generation on social, where, where would people be able to follow you guys? I'm available on Instagram and TikTok at Blue Ocean Harvest, all one word. And I'm also on LinkedIn under Jasmine Evans. You can just reach out to me on pretty much just Facebook or Instagram at Slater Daniels. Um, if anyone wants to talk aquaculture, just shoot me a message. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well just Slater Daniels or email me at spd89 at miami.edu. I use LinkedIn. And so I was going to say, if you want to find me on LinkedIn, Charlie Welch, I would have loved, and I know that the people that were made themselves available to ask questions, even via email, was huge for me to just ask questions. How did you get interested in this? We've got professors, literally, not only just Dr. Benetti, but they've had 30 years and they've seen the history of aquaculture and there's a lot of knowledge. So honestly, I'd, I'd love to just even answer emails. So I can be reached via email at charlesrwelch3 at gmail.com. Jasmine Slater, Charlie, thank you so much for helping a new generation to code seafood. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Seriously. Appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe to Decoding Seafood Today, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Brought to you by Moe. Decoding Seafood is brought to you by Moe, hosted by Keaton Robbins, produced by Tim and Tanya Fraser of Murdoch Entertainment, and recorded and edited by Jordan Moore of The Pod Cabin. Executive producer, Rotter Creative Group. With special thanks to our community of contributors and those that follow us.